0: from Romans 12, the verses 1 and 2. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is found within a context within the book of Romans. Romans is actually a a book that is divided into three parts, and our catechism is is, uh, echoing or, or patterned after those three parts of the book of Romans. So that's good to know also as catechism instruction has begun. And the children are learning about the three parts to the catechism, that we confess our sin and misery, our deliverance, and our thankfulness. So if you ever wondered how and why the catechism was divided into three parts, now you know it's actually a biblical structure that is patterned after the book of Romans. So before I read the text, I want to just quickly go through the book of Romans and and lead us to our text. So if you would turn to chapter 1, we're just going to take note that chapter 1, the verses 1 through 17, form the introduction to this book. The Apostle Paul introduces the theme, and that's found in verses 16 and 17, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and that the righteous shall live by faith alone. And the Catechism begins that way too, that we are belonging to Jesus Christ through faith alone, and by that can live in true comfort. And so the Apostle Paul then goes on to explain why we need to be saved by faith alone, and that's because, first of all, the wrath of God, that's chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Paul goes on through chapter 2, through chapter 3, the beginning, up to verse 20, in which he lays out the doctrine of sin. I find the words in chapter 3, starting at verse 9, so, str- um, so strong because they speak about who we are. And Paul just quotes from the Old Testament. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is, and so on. The throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. This is a description of us dead in sin. That's how we are conceived and born. And that's how we will remain but for the grace of God. And that is to what Paul turns to, starting in verse 21 of chapter 3. So here you have the second part of the book of Romans. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So Paul is coming to his theme, the gospel of Christ. And then he explains, going further, that Abraham was saved by faith alone, that we have chapter 5, peace, so there's that comfort, peace through faith in Jesus Christ, and goes on to to teach how he himself, chapter 7, is always struggling with sin in his body and in his mind, how the Jew is no better than the Gentile in this regard, and, and he ends at chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, with a doxology to God for His grace, that He saves us by grace alone. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That, that's his conclusion to the gospel of our deliverance. And that leads the Apostle Paul through this inspiration of the Holy Spirit to then the third part, which is our service, our thankfulness, our response, our reaction, our life devoted to God in re- response to his grace the confession of our guilt and of God's grace leads to our gratitude. We see those three parts then summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism. We also will note them later in the Forum for Holy Baptism as well. They're also found in the three parts of self-examination that are are written for us in the form for the Lord's Supper. So all these things we see tied together this morning, coming out of God's holy word. So let's now read our text in this context and light. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this morning we hear God's word then proclaimed under this theme, the attitude of the justified believer toward God. That's how we summarize the message. That's the title of the sermon, The Attitude of the Justified Believer Toward God. And we'll see two things. First, it is sacrificial. And secondly, it is transformational. So first, we'll consider how our attitude towards God should be sacrificial. Our text begins with an important word. Therefore, and what that word indicates, and that's what I have led and and showed you now, that all that has been said previously serves as the basis for what Paul is going to say now, what he's going to say from chapter 12 to the end of this book. Everything he's now going to teach in his letter to the Romans is based on what Jesus Christ has done for them. What Jesus has done for them in response to the fall into sin and the total depravity of mankind. Paul says, this is now what must happen in your life. Indeed, indeed, that therefore is pointing ultimately to Jesus Christ and the grace of God through him. He is the focal point. Jesus Christ and his coming to earth to die on the cross for our sins is the crux of the matter. Indeed, all the promises of the Old Testament pointed to it. The Gospels announced it. The letters of the New Testament are reflecting on it, and are looking back upon it. Everything is pointing to Christ. And that word, therefore, also does. And what Paul is about to say is based on what Christ has done. Through Christ's perfect and unique birth, through the Virgin Mary, becoming thereby God and man, who is righteous and holy, through his perfect obedience and life of faith while on earth, during which time he was always suffering, through his unjust condemnation to death, in which he was willing to stand in our place, through his death on the cross and his resurrection of the dead, Paul says, we are now made alive. Through faith alone. What Paul is saying is, we're not only made righteous through faith, but we are also made alive through faith. And it's a very serious matter. As our text indicates, Paul says, I appeal to you. It's a very strong encouragement. And and those words imply that there are no options here. This is how it should be, says Paul. It's not when you're a young person and you have been born and raised in the covenant of Christ and, and of, of God the Father that you have been baptized and called to faith and obedience. There's no option here to wait till you're 25 or so. No. I appeal to you now, young people. I appeal to you now, older ones. This is how it should be in your life. It underlines those words, I appeal to you, therefore underlines the serious obligation of the covenant of grace, the serious response to the gospel. We must heed this appeal We must listen to this appeal. We must respond, and it's a matter of life and death. The response we've heard is faith that is evident in a life devoted to Christ. That is to say, we are born again to a living hope, Paul said in Colossians 3. The gift of God's saving righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ will therefore lead to sacrifice. It will lead to a total devotion and dedication to God. So he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And notice, in, the, in that confirms the appeal, the seriousness of the appeal. This is a command. It's not you should present yourselves, but present yourselves. Present your bodies. And What does that mean? What What does Paul mean by bodies here? Some translations will have the word yourselves instead of bodies. And that's a very dynamic translation, but it does get to the point. Paul is speaking here about the whole body or person of the believer his body, his soul, and his mind. All of it belongs to God through faith in Christ, all of it ought to be devoted to God and sacrificed. For God's sake, we are, through faith, called to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. That's how we have summarized the law this morning, the law of thankfulness. Love the Lord your God with your whole bodies. Love your neighbor as yourself with your whole body. Be that living sacrifice, brothers and sisters. And that, of course, reminds us of the Old Testament again, where there were many sacrifices offered. What was a key component or consideration of the sacrifice? What is a sacrifice? Think about that. And it's important to do so because Paul is calling us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice implies cost. And so we see in the Old Testament, depending on our or the people's financial status, indicated the kind of sacrifice the people had to bring. So, for example, if you were poor, you had to present two turtle doves or some birds as a sacrifice. Think of that story in the New Testament where the poor widow drops a copper or a penny into the temple treasury and how Jesus says that that woman sacrificed more than most of the other people were doing because she gave everything she had. That was a costly sacrifice for her. The wealthy or rich, on the other hand, were to offer bulls or rams. The point is a sacrifice has to cost you something. It has to really be felt. It's not even necessarily easy to do. So in that light, brothers and sisters, God's word this morning is, first of all, asking us to examine our lives and say, how is that with us, with our sacrificing, whether that's financially or whether that's with our whole bodies, our whole lives, with ourselves? How are we contributing to the kingdom of God? How are we expressing our Devotion and thankfulness to God. Is is what we offer to God costly? Is it costing us something? Or do we only give of what we have extra, of our blessings? Another element of the Old Testament sacrifice, besides cost, is that the animal would end up dead. Dead. Well, look what Paul says in our text. We are to be living sacrifices. And that's also something to take note of, that on account of Jesus Christ, who came to this world to die in our place once for all, we may now be alive in our devotion to God. We can enjoy new life in Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice can be a sacrifice of joy, For we may know that we will not be put to death because of our sin. Because Christ has fulfilled what was predicted in those sacrifices. The believer in Jesus Christ is alive. He can have a sacrificial attitude that involves joy and peace and thankfulness and gratitude. He can be involved in sacrificial activities that that express worship and praise to our God. And as we consider that, we are being brought to our second point, that our sacrifice is to be transformational. Our attitude is transformational. So what we are seeing in God's Word and what we see in our text is that there are two things that, that come out of this Transformation. What a Christian does not do and what a Christian does do. Our text points it out this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that, brothers and sisters, are two entirely different things. First of all, conforming to the world. Conforming is a word that means to imitate something else. And it it gives an indication of only an outward action. Like you are somehow being stuffed into a mold and there is an outward change going on so that when you're in a certain context or when you're with certain people, you behave or act that way. But the moment you get out of that mold, the, the moment you're in a different context and with your different people, then all of a sudden you, you change and you act differently. The word here gives the, the concept of putting on something to look like something else. Like fashion. Being patterned after this world. It's not to say fashion is wrong, but to be so set on it and and that our whole life is focused on it is to be conformed to things of this world. And then when the fashion changes, you change with it. The moment you're away, away from some outward influence, your appearance changes because there's a different influence in your life. The animal that best describes this is the chameleon. A lizard that changes color to match the surroundings. And the reason why to live in such a way, to conform to the world in this way, why it's wrong, is because man's chief aim in this world, God's purpose for us in creating us and giving us life, is that we don't live, first of all, for ourselves, but that we do everything, first of all, for the glory of God, and then for the benefit of our neighbor. The second reason we shouldn't conform to the world is that it always leads to disappointment in the end. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31, we read that the present form of this world is passing away. Beloved, if we conform to this world, if we conform to the world, things of this world, we will pass away with it. In the end, there will be nothing. Instead, says Paul, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that doesn't mean be shaped or changed on the outside to fit a certain mold, to follow a certain pattern, but it means to be made into something entirely new so that the the change is not merely outward, but it's also inward, and even more importantly, inward. The word that we find in the original here is the word that our English word metamorphosis comes from. And that's a word that is also used in the animal kingdom, especially in zoology. It speaks about that in an insect or even an amphibian, there's a process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. And A good example of this kind of transformation is the development of the butterfly. They not only change their outward appearance and shape, but also change inwardly entirely through four different stages during their lifetime. First of all, there is the egg of the butterfly. And then you have the larva or the caterpillar. And then you have the pupa or chrysalis. And then finally, there's the adult butterfly. Here in Romans, the Apostle Paul is applying that image to people, to the Christians to those who confess their sinful nature and their corrupt state of condemnation and who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Paul is saying that there must be a change of form and nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by a supernatural means. In this case, the working of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read this. And I'll just read some, some verses before it. I'll start at verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you're already starting to get that sense of change, inward change, transformation. Then we read this in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here Paul is saying we are being transformed into the image of God. You could say we're being transformed back into the image in which God has created us before the fall into sin. God is restoring us to his perfect creation. So... Paul concludes our text. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Through this spiritual transformation of the believer, we will more and more understand and know how to live and what to do in given circumstances. We come to know the will of the Lord, His His Word, more and more. We can discern in, in situations in life what God wants us to do. We have, the Scriptures say, God's law written on our hearts. Our consciences are being activated. We are acting more and more out of love. We are more and more becoming alive. This is what God wants us to do and to be. That which is good and pleasing and perfect. He wants us to do his good and acceptable and perfect will. He doesn't want us to be a chameleon. He wants us to be a butterfly. Doing God's will from the heart being a living and active member of the church, acting in love, loving for God and loving for your neighbor. And so we may conclude. Paul teaches us in our text, in the context of our being conceived and born into sin and subject to sin and misery, even to death, we are saved through Christ our Lord when God sent him To this earth to be our atonement through the death, his death on the cross. And thus we are delivered, we are freed from our sin and misery, from the grip that Satan has on us, from the grip that, that death and sin has on us. And we are given a new life. Therefore, here's the truth God intends for all of us that we may have renewal, that we may have rebirth that we will be transformed into new creatures, that we will seek to live by a new and wholesome culture. He wants us to live new lives, to seek a new obedience. He wants us to act out of love, doing his will from the heart. Amen.